I mean, it's a pleasure to be here with all of you today. I know that it's always Christmas Sunday or New Year's Sunday. It's always the hardest to find guest speakers because everyone wants to take that Sunday off, even with preachers. And so, so, but it's great to be here with you guys. And <clears throat> so, been trying to figure out, you know, so as, as I shared last time at the congregational meeting, I'm kind of in a transition as I share that I'm, I submitted my resignation to KPCM about last month, and so I'm kind of in the midst of a transition, but so I'm still trying to finalize the details, but I think for the time being, the Lord has been good to us. The Lord, we've had a, we celebrated a great Christmas yesterday with our daughters, and so the girls are excited that, you know, because we told them that their number three is going to be a girl as well, and so they're excited. I'm excited, so I don't have any son, you know, you know, in the Korean they call it son yokshim. You know, but I don't, I don't have any of that. You know, so you know, it's you know, daughters all the way. So no one, like, we don't need sons anymore. I think so. So, so when you guys have kids, you guys will understand and appreciate that. So, we wanted to, you know, in the spirit of Christmas, we're going to be looking at Psalm eight, and so just wanted to. I forgot to send the the PowerPoint with the passage, so please forgive me on that. So I'm gonna. Just ask all of you to just find Psalm 8, either in your hard copies of the Bible or or your lecture, you know, so either on your tablets or your phones, but we're going to be reading from Psalm 8. So I'll give you maybe like a, like a few seconds to, to look for Psalm 8. Oh, never mind. So you, got, you guys are on point. All right, but this is the arena of God's holy, infallible, inspired, inerrant word. O Lord, our Lord. How majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. Out of the mouth of babies and infants, you have established strength because of your foes. Distill the enemy and the avenger. When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, which you have set in place. What is man that you are mindful of him? And the son of man that you care for him. Yet you have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. You have given him dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen, and also the beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens, and the fish of the sea, whatever passes along the paths of the seas. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God will stand forever. Let us pray. Father, I pray that as we take some time now to, to sit underneath the preaching of your word, that we will not just merely hear morals and ethics and just good tidings and joy, that we would hear and meet with the word Jesus Christ. For he reminds us in Luke 24, 44 to 47, that all of the scriptures point to him. So may we not miss the most important part of our faith for the sake of trying to be a better person because we are not just better people, but we are new people in Christ. And so would your people not leave here today without hearing the glories and excellencies of Christ proclaimed faithfully and boldly? Would they, would they be reminded as we end 2021 and look ahead to 2022, that we would finish well, 
and that we'd be eager and excited for what 2022 brings upon us. Not because we are so amazing or ready, but because you know, because we know that you are preparing us, because we know that you are the foundation upon which we are building our lives. So would you be glorified through this time? We pray all these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. So for all of you here today in person and watching online, again, hopefully all of you had a wonderful Christmases. And so remember before I was married, I would always do this one thing during Christmas season, and that's watching the Lord of the Rings trilogy, extended edition. So I'd time it perfectly so that I'd start at 3, like 3.30, and then I'd watch until it's midnight. And I don't know why I did it, but I just... I just wanted to do it, and I had nothing else better to do. So some of you guys probably could relate. And then I tried, and so it was just something that I kept on doing. And even when I got married, I tried doing that. And unfortunately, it didn't work out as well as I would like to. And then once the, Ho- the Hobbit trilogy came out, I tried to convince my wife that, you know, let me try, let's do the, you know, the Lord of the Rings trilogy Christmas, and then the Hobbit trilogy New Year's. So I made it to the, the first. So she, it, in her kindness, she let me try it once. You know, but then, thankfully, by God's grace, I'm still alive because after, after we had our daughter, like, it was, you know, game over. And so I, haven't, I only made it to Hobbit, the, unex, the, the unexpected journey. And I've been able to watch the other two movies since. But the reason why I bring that up, because I remember when I first saw The, the Hobbit, the, the unexpected journey, some of you may not know the plot, but if you're not familiar with the plot, it's basically, you know, the Bilbo Baggins, the Hobbit, and he's convinced by Gandalf to go with these 13 dwarves to reclaim their, their home, the Lonely Mountain, from a, a dragon called Smog. And so it was, it was great, like cinematics and, and, and whatnot, but then ultimately, right, it's not, it's not, if it's not your cup of tea, then it's, it's going to be very boring for you. And so this unexpected journey of this random hobbit like meeting up with 13 dwarves to try to reclaim homeland from a dragon. I was like, why would you do that? That's, it sounds ridiculous at first. And the reason why I bring this up is because as we look at Psalm 8, right, Psalm 8 has this unexpected journey that's similar to the journey that launched the two trilogies, The Hobbit and then The Lord of the Rings. There's this journey being described here where we see the story of redemption ultimately being revealed in Jesus Christ. You see here that David, he's setting up the scene here where he says, you have set your glory above the heavens. Because he's emphasizing how high God is in order to amplify how low he was willing to go. The Son of Man, another term for the Messiah, he started off in the highest of the high, but decided to give up his glory. He came down and he went all the way down to the lowest of the lows, but then is given authority over all things like a victorious king. And he ends up back to the highest of highs. And so the nature of this journey, right, this itinerary that's described here, it's very peculiar, very unexpected, because it's not the path of least resistance, as most of us would want to take, but it's the path of greatest resistance. If you were given the option to have a difficult life for you and your future descendants and your families, 
versus a life of comfort and peace for you and your future descendants, I'm pretty sure that all of us would choose the life of comfort, life of peace, security. People born to privilege will not be willing to part with their privileges so easily. But for some reason, the path that God has mapped out for the Messiah in the psalm is not that of comfort, but of discomfort. And so with that in mind, my hope today is not to merely affirm the weak things of this world or to affirm the dignity and value of humanity, which are all true, but through the text to see that God chooses to go on the path of greatest resistance because he knows that he can and has accomplished the greatest redemption. So God chooses to go on the path of greatest resistance because he knows he can and has accomplished the greatest redemption. And so this unexpected journey has three unusual features that we're going to be focusing on. Number one, God's unusual path that he took. Number two, God's unusual weapon of choice. And then thirdly, God's unusual elevation of humanity. So summarizing three points. So as you guys normally are, are used to at this point, right? Enjoying the presence of God, establishing the power of God, and then empowering the people of God. So enjoying the presence of God, establishing the power of God, and then empowering the people of God. All right, so let's get that, the first point. So enjoying the presence of God. And so verses 1 and 9. I don't, I'm sorry, again, I don't have the, you know, the, the text here. And so we see in verses 1 to 9, basically, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. And so that phrase, it starts Psalm 8 and it ends Psalm 8. And so it's exactly the same. And so these two lines are basically the frame in which display the rest of this psalm or it's basically the bread that holds the sandwich together. And so at the center of the text is an affirmation of human authority and human power, but at the boundaries, right, the top and the, and the bottom are affirmations of praise to God. So in other words, what David is highlighting is that he's not trying to bring the attention to these elements in and of themselves, but what he's trying to do is he's trying to remind us that human power, human dignity, and human worth is always bounded and surrounded by divine presence. The Westminster Shorter Catechism, number one. What is the chief end of men? What is the purpose of humanity? To glorify God and to enjoy him forever. Right? But unfortunately, all of that was ruined in the Garden of Eden. And so, what do we do if we're in a season where we don't enjoy the presence of God? What do we do if maybe we're having a slump spiritually, if we're in a spiritual rut, if we're in a valley? Does that mean that we're not good Christians? Does it mean that we need to try harder? Does, it, does that mean that maybe we're not a true Christian after all because we're having a season where we're not doing so well? No. Right? That's normal. And so I want to encourage you, right? Like, don't beat up yourself too much if, that, if that's where you are. And so some of you guys, you know, you just finished finals, and so I'm sure all of you are probably burnt out and you want to go home and you want to recharge. And some of you, maybe you're in a transition point where you're trying to figure out, okay, do I, need, do I go to grad school or do I go to the workplace? Or like you're trying to figure out the next steps for your future. And maybe God isn't really giving you any answers. He's not necessarily opening up any doors. He's not even closing any doors. And so you're trying to figure out, okay, where do I go from here? And so you're probably thinking to yourself, okay, like, do I need to try harder? Am I, do I need to pray harder? Maybe I haven't given enough 
offering. And so there's always these self-doubts that makes us think that hey, we need to try harder. But that's not what the text is saying. And that's not, and, and I hope that that's not the way that you guys approach your faith because that's not what the Bible teaches. So our purpose is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. Like, obviously, we can't do that perfectly. And so God knows that we can't do that perfectly. And so what he does is instead of forcing us to go to him, he comes down to us. Right? So the psalm begins with God and it ends with God. And it's this path where he comes down to us. God said that he will redeem and restore all of creation, including humanity. And he does that. Right, when we look at Genesis 3.21, many of you, like if you grew up in the church, you're familiar with that passage where God gave Adam and Eve clothes. Like he took their garments of fig, skins, uh, fig leaves and he gave them animal skins. And so the common interpretation of, the, of that verse is it's because that was the first sacrifice in the Bible. And while that's, that's definitely true, if we look at how the, even the ancient church interpreted that passage, Genesis 3.21, it actually, they saw that text as more of an emphasis on how far, right, how low humanity has fallen. Because God created humanity, like humans, on the sixth day. And so he created humans to be above right, all of creation. And so by God putting on the animal skins on them, right, it's symbolic of how low that they had fallen, that they've fallen even below the animals that they were supposed to rule over. And so they had, humanity has fallen. And so Jesus Christ, right, the second Adam, he not only had to do what the first Adam couldn't, he had, to, he had to clean up the mess that the first Adam had, like, had made. And God knew that he couldn't just declare that everything is good between us, right? He had to get his hands dirty, his feet wet. And honestly, he could have decided that, you know what? It's not worth my time. It's not worth the investment. The ROI on this is horrible. But amazingly, God willingly decided to take the trip. He willingly initiated reconciliation, redemption, and restoration. And so we see this in the second point, establishing the power of God. And verse 2. So we see that God has a plan. He's going to initiate. He's going to save. He's going he's to do the work because he knows that we can't. And so we see that God's choice, so he chooses a weapon. And, what we, and what's crazy, though, is that the weapon that God chooses to establish his strength, it's not the biggest, baddest, powerful weapon that we can ever think of. It's the crying, the cooing of babies and newborn infants. Right? Out of the mouth of babies and infants, you have established strength because of your foes, to still, right, to destroy the enemy and the avenger. This is not a temporary solution. This is not plan B. This is the only plan that God had. This is 
the very basis upon which God planned on destroying his enemies and building his kingdom. Right? This is obviously a very unusual weapon of choice to fight against one's enemies and foes. Right? Even if we step outside of the analogy of the, and the, you know, the arena of the battlefield. Right? When the game is on the line, you're going to put the ball in the hands of your best player, the best playmaker. Right? When you're trying to do well on a test or a school assignment, you try to get a hold of the best resources, the best study guides, prep books. You go to the best test prep centers. You sit under the best tutors and the best teachers right, to improve your scores. When you're trying to negotiate a deal with a client or a company or a car, right, you want to be in a position of dominance and have the upper hand. The key to God's victory, though, is not through those who are strong, dominant, and wise. But it's through the most vulnerable, most helpless. Right, this is all counterintuitive because the world is all about right, survival of the fittest. But God uses the most vulnerable, the most helpless, and the weak. Right? This is not a tactic or something that Sun Tzu would put in the art of war. This is not a principle that would be, print, like, would be published in the Harvard Business Review. And yet, for God, this is par for the course. And this is fully realized in Jesus Christ. Right? We celebrated Christmas yesterday. And the reason why we celebrate Christmas is not because... It's cute, or because it's supposed to lift up our spirits. But it's because God has accomplished redemption, reconciliation, restoration, right through and through a baby right, who triumphantly conquers Satan and over sin and death, right? Not by outmuscling or outsmarting his opponents, but by humbling himself emptying himself. Right, we sang earlier, the humble king. Right, oh, kneel me down again here at your feet. Right, and if we look further into the person, the life, and work of Jesus Christ, this is even more mind-blowing. Right, Jesus didn't even hype up his first coming. Right, he could have blown up the skies right, in the same way that sometimes our, our, like our, new, our Facebook news feed or, or Instagram newsfeed like it blows up because like all these other people are trying to just advertise or our algorithms are just going out of just going out of hand all right social media wasn't around back then but i'm sure jesus if he wanted to he could have just lit up the sky and said jesus is coming right he could have gotten angels and he had, he he had like he right he could have just done what he wanted to do like he has the power he, had, he could have had his own version of amber alert right he could have like blown up the skies with like just messages and angels to proclaim like that he was coming he could have created the, the most successful marketing team, like social media team, but he didn't do that. Right? Jesus didn't even choose to be born into a life of privilege. He could have decided to be born into a rich family, right? a wealthy family, the 1% of the 1% of the 1%, with as much entitlement and as many servants as he's worthy of. But instead, he chose to be born into a poverty-stricken, like blue-collar work family who couldn't even afford to have a proper birth. He chose to be born in a manger, born in a small city, and raised in poverty to learn the ins and outs of the trade of carpentry, working with wood, nails, and the use of the hammer. 
that ironically will be used to kill him later at Calvary on the cross. He chose to come into this world as the weakest of the weakest, the vulnerable of the vulnerable, as a newborn babe, and not as an already developed adolescent or even an adult. And so taking all of this into consideration, right, if we see or if we even hear crying babies in church, right, they should especially right, be welcome. You know, one of the things that I really miss about you know, church in COVID era is that right, a lot of times people don't bring their babies to church. You know, and I remember when I was younger, you know, I, used, I used to always think, you know, because growing up in, in an immigrant church, if many of you, maybe you grew up in an immigrant church and you, and you kind of were, like even from a very young age, you were told that adults are going to have their worship separately and then you guys are going to have your worship separately. Don't bother us. And so it's already seen, like there's already that separation. And then as I got older though, and as I had started to have my own kids, I realized that, you know what? Right? The, the sound of crying babies is not a nuisance, right? but it's something to, to welcome. Right, to, to be glad that there's babies. Remember just even hearing, in, you know, this didn't happen to my class, but then I heard about it in my own seminary class where my, one of my professors, like, so there was like one of our, there was a student who had, a, who had a child and she was bringing the child in and then the child was, you know, she, she was crying. And so she was about to take the, the baby out. You know, she's like, oh, like, I'm, I'm so sorry that my, my daughter is, making a big commotion and then the professor said nope you, know, you can stay if anyone has a problem with that they can leave and so like when I heard that you know when I heard that I was like oh wow because oftentimes we're we're so used to, like it's all about us oftentimes like the we may not realize it but then that's the natural instinct that's how we're often trained when it comes to church and so if something bothers us, if something breaks our concentration or, or flow, then we need to get rid of it. But what we see here is that it's the weakest of the weakest, the most vulnerable of the vulnerable, whom God values, whom God uses as his strength. And this is why, right, it's so encouraging, you know, to see that later generations now that we're wanting to worship with our children, wanting to worship with our parents and so it's it's my prayer you know that I know that right now most of you are single you know college students young adults working professionals grad students some of you are married and so it's my hope it's my that we would eventually CLC we we pack this place with with children and we'd hear the crying and cooing of babies because again, ba like the sound of babies crying, that's not a nuisance. That's the sound of victory. God's victory over sin, death, and Satan. Right? Jesus himself rebukes the Pharisees in Matthew 21, 14 to 16, when they start complaining to him about right, the kids being too noisy. And Jesus quotes Psalm 82, in their faces, do not hinder the children, for the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. Right? And, and I could camp on this for like the rest of the time but you know we got to move on right and so this leads to the third point empowering the people of God and so in you know in the the rest of the passage right so we've established so we've seen that God right the beginning 
end, and then he God is the one who initiates. He bring, uh, he's the one who goes to the people, and he goes to the people using an unusual weapon. And now we see that God not only saves the people, the humans, but he elevates them. He treats them in a way that has never been seen before. And for those of you who've read, you know, the Epic of Gilgamesh, right, there's, and, you know, there's other ancient Near Eastern parallels that are going on here. And so the Israelites, they grew up in a, you know, they were in a context where other nations, they were used to being told that humans were created to be the slaves of the gods and the goddesses of their respective pantheons. And so humans were created, not with dignity, but humans were created out of the dead carcasses of the defeated gods and goddesses. And so humans, right, like the fact that they, like we were apparently created out of the dead carcasses of defeated gods and goddesses, right, it really shows that we're really lower on the totem pole, that we're, that we're nothing. And that's what people back then like in the surrounding nations, the Babylonians, the Assyrians, the Philistines, that's what they believed in. And yet what we see here is that God not only values humans, right, there's, but he becomes like one. We see the difference immediately that humans are created from the dust of the earth and they were created to be basically right, the ambassadors of God. That we're not just glorified servants or slaves, but that we are sons and daughters of God. Right, verse 5 to 8 emphasizes the glory of humanity. Yet you have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. You have given him dominion over the works of your hands. You've put all things under his feet. All sheep and oxen, also the beasts of the field, the birds of the heaven and the fish of the sea, whatever passes along the paths of the seas. God has elevated humanity to a level that other gods and deities could not even begin to fathom or desire. Right? A couple of weeks ago, I was reading an article about one of my favorite entertainers of all time, Will Smith, and he was doing an interview with, I forget which magazine, but it was in regards to his memoir that he just published. Maybe some of you saw this interview, I don't know, but so basically what he was sharing in this interview was that he hates his Christian upbringing because while you know when he was dealing with you know, his marriage issue with Jada Pinkett about how you know they eventually went into an open marriage, and he was talking about how he hated his Christian upbringing because because he was raised as a Christian by his grandmother, he knew that having desires and even wanting to sleep with other women besides his wife was wrong. And that, he, and that it was sinful for him. Like he, he acknowledges that. But then he said he hates that. And so he talked with his, this, his sexual therapist who then helped him by telling him to like, so this is basically what you need to do. You need to write down all the names of the women that you want to sleep with and contact them and tell them. Right? Clear your mind. Be true to yourself. And so he was saying that he really appreciated that because he wants to be true to himself. He wants to 
you know, believe that, you know, even though that he had these thoughts that they're not sinful in and of themselves and that even acting on these impure thoughts didn't make him, and these are his words, a piece of crap. And so, you know, I'm, and as I was reading this, I was conflicted because, number one, you know, I really appreciate, you, know, I, I, you know, I grew up on Will Smith, you know, Freshman's at Bel Air, right, Independence Day, Bad Boys, Men in Black, and I grew up on, on his music. You know, but seeing that, you know, just really heartbreaking to me because, you know, the fact that he was trying to justify his feelings, right, for wanting to sleep with other women. Right, we're going to have bad days. Right? There are days when I'm just like, you know what, I don't want to be a father today. Right? I don't want to be a husband today, but I can't, I can't do that. And there are going to be days when we're like, you know what? I don't feel like being a Christian today. Like, I just want to just do whatever a non-Christian does. Right? There will be days when we have that. And if you've grown up in the church, right, I'm sure that you're aware of the stigma that comes with even just being a Christian. Right? Other people think that Christians believe that humans are less dignified than they really are because we believe and teach that all humans are sinners. Maybe some of you here today physically or watching, maybe some of you even resonate with what Will Smith said. Maybe you hate how it seems that Christianity is all about sin hunting. Maybe you hate and resent you know, this idea that we're all sinners in need of grace. You know, and if that's you, you know, I'm not here to condemn you, right? but I, what I'm trying to say is that you know, and if, if again, that might be your experience, that might be your trauma, by, by no means am I trying to gaslight that at all, but what I'm saying is that, you know, when I look at, you know, when I hear Will Smith's story about how it's, he, for him, his Christian upbringing was like, he was so focused on the law, right? It was all about the law, like, this is wrong, this is wrong, and you can't do this, you can't do that, and so, now, we sang even earlier, like, oh, holy, you know, the, you know, law is love and peace is good. And so Christianity is not just all about, it's not just about the law. Right? The law is good in the sense that it reveals our need for Jesus, for our, like, our need for grace. But, you know, that's not the gospel, right? We got the law and the gospel, right? It's a two sides of the same coin. And so if you're here today, if you're watching, if you're listening, and that's been your experience where you just feel that Christianity is all about sin hunting and how you need to be a better person or you need to be a better Christian, otherwise you're not a true Christian. And you feel that you have that overwhelming burden of, of sin, of shame, of guilt. What I want to encourage you to do is right, find people to right, help you get that balance between not just the law, but the gospel to remind you that it's not about what we do. It's not about what you and I do. And it's not even about the strength of your faith or my faith. Right? It's not the strength of our, of our faith that saves us. It's the strength of the one in whom our faith lies upon. It's not our faith that saves us. It's the object of our faith who saves us. Right? And so we need to remember, and so again, if, you're, if you've been getting hammered your entire life or like recently with 
with thoughts or with even people just literally telling you, you need to try harder or otherwise you're not a good Christian. Right? Find people. Right? Take, you know, take the time to just find people who can just speak into your life, just speak the gospel into your life to remind you that it's not about what we do, right? but it's all about what God has done. To bring you back, right? to, to share the good news. Because there will be, you know, we, we will have those seasons where, you know, again, we just maybe, tr- like we have those seasons of where we need to be like Martha, then you know we need to have those seasons of where we need to be married as well, where we just where we where we just receive and we just are able to be filled and recharged. So maybe that's where you are. Like you just need to stop being Martha and be Mary for a bit. And so, because but at the same time, like remembering that that the reality of the gospel that it's that yeah, like I'm not gonna tell my wife that you know what I don't want to be your husband today. I'm gonna I'm gonna be true to myself. It's like no. Because at that point, what I'm doing is I'm giving in to my desires and not living. Because you know, if I want to be true to myself, right, my identity is in Christ. It's not in my desires or my, my, you know, my lust or my preferences, my agenda, my plans. But it's in Christ. And so if you want to be true to yourself, then we need to look to Christ. In Psalm 8, it clearly highlights and affirms, right, the dignity of humanity. And so, and so it's unfortunate, you know, that, that a lot of churches, a lot of Christians, right, they, that they've been hurt by the church, right? They suffered trauma and abuse. You know, and I hope that, you know, CLC, that, that you guys, that you be a church that not just focuses on, on the law, but, but finds that healthy balance between law and gospel. And that might mean that we're going to have to have awkward conversations, right? Like some of you guys, when you went to home for Thanksgiving, when you were at home yesterday with family, maybe you had those awkward conversations with your family members, with your siblings, with your parents, with cousins, aunts, and uncles. And I'm actually kind of, you know, so I was supposed to go back home to New York for the first time since moving out here four and a half years ago. But so, like, but my mother found out that, you know, we were pregnant with number three, and she said, don't come. You know, and looking back on it, you know, I'm like, you know what? I'm kind of glad that we didn't go because I knew that we'd have to just have to have some conversations that I didn't want to have with her. Right? Because there's some things that some of you guys know, like you have those parents or, or relatives that just say really inappropriate things. And we need to call them out on it. Especially if, like, you know, if, if our family members say something, some crazy things about other ethnic groups, right? we need to call them out on that. And so we need to be willing to right, get in there and, and risk you know, our reputation and risk even friendships and relationships for the sake of right, affirming the dignity of humanity. But at the same time, we need to recognize and see in the text that human dignity is within the boundaries of God's majesty, reign, and influence. So what I mean by that is that so human dignity is not independent or exists in a vacuum. And so 
humans are not intrinsically more valuable just because we are human or because we can do things that no other mammals can do. Because biologically, like at the end of the day, we're all just a bunch of cells, matter, and protoplasm. And if you know, those of you majoring bio or pre-med, you guys could correct me on that if I'm wrong, right? But it's because you know, humans have value and dignity because Christ redeemed the value and dignity of humanity that we lost when our parents, Adam and Eve, decided to elevate themselves apart from God. Right? We were created, like, all humans are created in the image of God. And when Adam and Eve fell, right, the image of God was broken. And Christ, by taking on human flesh, he redeems human dignity and worth. Right? It's not just because we're humans, like biological humans, that we're better. But it's because we're all created in the image of God. And so we need to let us never elevate or prioritize human dignity over the glory of God. You know, and, and that's oftentimes, you know, the, you know, that struggle between a lot of churches today is finding, you know, trying to go through that tension between human dignity, you know, within the context of God's glory. Because sometimes what we do, what we see people do, is they elevate human dignity more. They care more about human dignity than, than God. And so we see here that human dignity is rooted in God's glory. Right? It begins with God and ends with God. Right? Hebrews 12 2 reminds us that right, God is the perfecter and the author and the sustainer of our faith. And so we're closing out the year 2021. Right? We look ahead to 2022. We don't know how long all of this is going to play out with, you know, with COVID. And we, there, there's probably going to be like 20 other variants that they're going to find and show up. I don't know. We don't know if this is going to be, you know, be a one-year thing, a 10-year thing, a 20-year thing. We don't know. There's a lot of uncertainty, right? a lot of doubts. Some of you, again, are in transition. You're trying to figure out what, what the next steps are going to be for you, for personally, professionally, even in your relationships, you know, even spiritually and emotionally. Maybe some of you are. Like maybe you're, you're, you feel like you're in that darkness. You know, and what we see here, you know, and I'm going to take like a third, like, you know, kind of like take like five steps back from the psalm and to just focus on the entire book of psalms. Right, God places the psalm in between the psalms of lament, like Psalm 7, Psalms 9, and 10. Right, 7, 9, and 10, those are all psalms of lament. And so in the midst of lament, in the midst of darkness and uncertainty, right, God places this psalm of celebration, you know, of hum- to remind us that in the midst of our frustrations, in the midst of our valleys, that he still sees us, that he still knows us, and, he's, and he dwells with us. So we may not know if we're going to get that call from the school, right, from the job, from that boy or girl. We don't know how long this is going to last. This, but what we do know right, is that God has taken first step 
that he will continue to sustain and he will and he will perfect and so brothers and sisters let us be humbled let us allow the spirit to work in us to direct your gaze to the person life and work of Jesus Christ in whom this psalm finds its fulfillment in that the path before us seems like there's going to be a lot of obstacles a lot of resistance but hey we're in good company because Christ was willing to take the path of greatest resistance so that he can accomplish the greatest redemption on our behalf he did and now we're able to follow after him we're able to go after him not because of our strength or our abilities but because he gives us what we need Right? God doesn't just tell us to fly and then not just give us the wings, right? But God tells, like God tells us to fly and he gives us the wings. He gives us the grace. He gives us what we need to persevere, to endure. The only thing we need, we need to do is come before him in humility. Be willing to receive the grace, the blessings that he wants to give to us. So let us do so at this time. Let us humble ourselves and let us be refreshed, let us be replenished as we reflect on all the blessings that God has given to us this past year and as we look ahead to 2022. Let us be encouraged that we may not know what are the next steps per se, but we do know that he is continuing to give us what we need. Let us pray. Father, thank you for reminding us that obstacles and resistance they're not bad things in and of themselves you know and oftentimes i think it's easy for us to lose sight of of you because we're so focused on what's in front of us that we forget to look up so i pray that we would Continue to humble ourselves that we would be willing to draw near to you as you call us to come and to be refreshed to be recharged by your grace that we would we would not give in to feelings of frustration or doubt that it's okay for us to have those feelings and it's okay to have those experiences, but that we would be able to see that you are faithful when we are faithless, that we would see that you are the firm foundation upon, we can stand upon, that you would continue to work in us. You could continue to Use us as your vessels of mercy to let the world know that you are the true and living God. So as we close out 2021, and we're thankful for the many blessings, we look, as we look ahead to 2022, we look forward to the many opportunities of growth. We look forward to the many opportunities where we can come together as a church and to be your salt and light to this community to this neighborhood, to this school, to the Twin Cities and beyond. Thank you and pray all these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.
pray together before Pastor Charles comes up and close for us in prayer and benediction. Uh, let's spend some time to process the, the word that we just heard uh, from Psalm 8 and um, you know, during this time uh, I've been reading uh, some books about you know, human emotions I think one thing that I've been amazed by is that uh, all those, you know, emotional and mental uh, struggles that we have, whether it's you know anger, anxiety, uh, depression, um, you know, panic um, symptoms, and all those things uh, go back to Genesis three, uh, which is um, you know, the fall of the man, where we decided to take God's place and listen to the voice that promised that we can be like God. Um, and I think it's really amazing um, that you know every single problem that we have, perhaps many of us could um, you know, reflect more on that or experience more of that because of the pandemic and more isolation and um, you know seeing more manifestations of you know our problems in our lives in our hearts um, and it all goes back to our desire to be God um, I'm angry because I'm not getting what I want as the king and queen of my life I'm anxious because I'm worried that I'm gonna be shamed and not be admired this goes on and on uh, and in that place you know, uh, you know basically you know God is um, you know being usurped as king and what's amazing though as uh, Pastor Charles uh, you know, walked us through uh, book of Psalm or Psalm 8 is that you know he didn't come here to bring his throne back by force but he came as a human baby becoming vulnerable and eventually to be killed for us in our place and when we get that when we are moved by that and when we gladly give up our throne to Jesus the true king we can experience the transformation and healing in our hearts because that order is right now that he's the king and I'm his creature dignified creature like Pastor Charles explained to us so could we just right now enjoy his presence that was the first point of the sermon right just enjoy because he did not come to uh, take his throne back by force and shaming us and you know saying how could you but he came gently dying for us and right now what he's doing is um, like the sun uh, you know thaws frozen heart like the sun um, you know melts snow on the ground he is trying to melt our hearts and bring us back to him 
and may we enjoy that warmth of his presence together. Could we do that just for a few moments before Pastor Charles comes back and uh, close for us? Let's just enjoy uh, his warmth um, you know, as we uh, process and pray. Ask him, Lord, uh, Lord, I need you. Help me. Help me. Let's pray together. Father, we praise you and we thank you that, that you are the one who initiates, sustains, perfects our relationship with you. We thank you that you do not bully us, that you are not petty, that you are not insecure or suffer from any inferiority complex. And that ultimately is revealed in the fact that you are willing to become like us, take upon yourself human flesh not just come as a human but you came as a baby a newborn infant the most vulnerable of the most vulnerable to encourage us to, to assure us that you are willing to go as low as possible in order to save the lowest of the low that there is no limit to how far you're willing to go then to remind us that no one and nothing can stop you from saving. And so, would we be encouraged? Would we be empowered in our faith? Not because we did such an awesome job of, of keeping up with the law, but because our eyes are turn away from us and turn to Christ and as we are able to, to enjoy and to see his beauty, his majesty, his splendor and his power recognizing our true king so will we continue to humble ourselves will we continue to grow in our love, our affections our desires Christ and his ways and his word and his kingdom in response to your grace. Not because we're trying to get something from you, but, but because we've already received everything in Christ. And now may the grace of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father, and the fellowship and communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all now and forever. Amen.